You can support this podcast on patreon.com forward slash firstpawmedia. Here's to the adventure-seeking dog mushers out there. The hundreds of you who stand on the runners dreaming and thinking about the northern lights. Of course, there is something else you can do if you've got something to say. Start a podcast with First Paw Media and harness your creative side. Maybe even earn enough money. Enough money to tell yourself, hey, I'm not just a dog musher. I'm a rover. I'm a wanderer. I'm a voyager. I'm an explorer. Visit firstpaw.media. Mush on over today. Radio Free Palmer 89.5 KVRF presents Mushing Radio, hosted by Robert Forto. Mushing Radio is about dog-powered sports, living in the Great White North, and mushing. Visit our website at mushingradio.com. Here is your host, Robert Forto. Hello and welcome everybody. This is Robert and I'm joined tonight by my co-host Tony and we are doing a race recap of the Kobuk 440 sled dog race up in Kotzebue, Alaska. Tony, how's it going tonight? Uh, it's going. It's snowing right now in Kenai. So our uh, faux spring is definitely over. We're getting our second or third winter of the season um, and then my parents are out of town for the next three weeks, so I have two pugs that are no doubt going to cause havoc while we are recording tonight. <laughs> yeah, we are receiving a little bit of uh, second wind of winter up here as well. We got two or three inches, but it's melting quickly. And speaking of the Kobuk 440, it was pretty dang cold out there uh, this weekend. Negative 45 with the wind chill. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. But we are happy to report everybody is in off the trail. And it may be a first for the year, but we had no scratches in this race. Is that right? That's correct. 12 teams went out. 12 teams came back and finished. Nobody had to be uh, brought back to Kotzebue. They, they all ran in on their own. So we have a new winner, Jesse Holmes. Is this his first win up there? I believe it is. Uh, I think I saw him listed as one of the previous champions, maybe from back in 2017, somewhere in there. Um, but I would have to do a double check on that. All right. So tell us a little bit about uh, the finishers, if you can. You know, it was a pretty exciting race with the fact that they didn't have any crazy ground storms that uh, blew up out of nowhere. The trail was hard and fast for most of it. There were just a couple of spots that had started to get kind of mushy with that punchy snow uh, that we see towards this time of year. So Jesse Holmes flew through the course. Uh, he was pretty dominant all the way through and of course came in first. He had about a two hour lead over the rest of the uh, chase pack. Richie Deal um, passed several teams that final night into that morning finish. Uh, he passed both Michelle and Hugh Neff very close, well not very close to the finish, but uh, very similar to last year where he ran down just about everybody. So Richie Deal came in second. We had Michelle Phillips in third. Hugh Neff came in fourth, which considering the first couple of days were a little bit rough for that team as the Northern Whites decided to pop the snow hook and 
and take off down the trail without him during one of their rests uh, that he came in fourth is pretty impressive. Bailey Vitello, who is a rookie in this race and, of course, just ran his rookie Iditarod, rounds out the top five. Then you had Jeff Dieter in sixth, Martin Early, who was running out of uh, Jeff King's kennel. He was in seventh. Kevin Hansen came in early this morning, uh, just a little after midnight uh, in eighth. Jesse Downey came in after him about an hour or so after Kevin Dempsey Woods. Jim Borkwin, and then Laro Eklund just came in about a couple hours ago as the Red Lantern. So uh, with Laro, he was about, what, 16 hours-ish or so behind the winter? Is that uh, my math? Uh, well, Jesse came in yesterday at 8.38 a.m., and Laro came in today at 4 10 p.m. So I think we're over 24 hours different. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm bad at math. Yes. So. <laughs> yeah, there we go. All right. But the, we are, are happy to note, as we said, that uh, everybody finished. And remember, guys that are listening, this is a 440 mile race. So it's a, a longer uh, mid distance race, one of the longest ones uh, that, that we cover here. And I think it was a pretty fast race, don't you think, uh, Tony? It definitely felt like that. Um, I think Jesse was kind of in a class of his own with uh, the finish. He was actually almost three hours ahead of Richie Deal's time. Richie came in at 11.33 a.m. And like I said, Jesse was at 8.38 a.m. So um, it was very, very fast for Jesse, but it did. It felt it very, I could not keep up. Uh, I'll be honest. This weekend was uh, rough personally. So it was one of those things where every time I turned around, it felt like they were in the next checkpoint. Um, they were resting. It even felt like the rest was fast, but they had a mandatory 20 hour rest total, um, which they all seem to take in their own uh, schedule. So it, it, yeah, it was just, it was a fast race. And here we are, the the banquet, the finishers banquet, I think just started about a half an hour ago. And so, yeah, it, it just feels weird that, you know, the, the Red Lantern seemed to just be taking his time and enjoying it. And I think any other time or any other year for this race, he'd be right there in the middle of the pack, kind of like he was in the Yukon Quest earlier this year. Yeah, I remember talking about Loro back then, and uh, he had some trials and tribulations that were eventually settled uh, with uh, with the help of social mm -hmm. media. And we're going to talk about the social media on the Kobuk in just a second. But um, yeah, way to go to all those guys. So a couple of stories. One of them that I saw right off the bat was, I guess it was during the first day or so, they had a cool giveaway for all of the mushers. They had different um, products like uh, beaver mitts and hats and moccasins and all of that. And when the mushers would pull into the checkpoints, it was like sort of like Christmas morning. They could pick the gift uh, that they wanted. Did you see that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's something that they do. I think every year um, it gets a little more exciting or uh, just really fun. It's as they're coming into Ambler on the outbound trail, um, they can come in. I think it's Ambler. Don't, I, I may have just misspoken, but I believe it's Ambler where they go in. 
and uh, you get first pick. You know, the the sooner you get into that checkpoint, the the more options you have to choose from, and they're all handmade by the the villagers. So it's it's a very exciting thing. I also love the other thing, and you may have been planning on on sharing this, but just in case. Um, the other thing I love is that with each musher that comes into one of the checkpoints, I not can't remember if it's Ambler or Shugnik, um, but they draw names out of a hat when they come in, and an Easter basket is awarded to one of the village children uh, in that checkpoint. So uh, very exciting, very different sort of uh, tradition with this race than in other races that we've covered. And from what I gather by watching on social media, they really brought the community together for this one. I mean, they had pancake breakfasts mm -hmm. and the whole nine yards. They were really bringing these guys together because this isn't a very big community. And of course, when it's spread over, well, it's a loop race. So I guess it's spread over, I don't know, about 200 miles or so uh, just by easy math. But uh, that that's sort of the goal of this is to bring that uh, community together as they did, right? It is, and it's also, they kick off kind of their spring fling, their version of Anchorages for Rendezvous. Um, it's all centered around this race, just like with Ferrandi. You have the Ferrandi races that kick off the event, and then, of course, Iditarod is their finale. You get the same kind of thing with the Kobuk 440, and then they also have a sprint race series, the Arctic circle championship i believe is what it's called that one actually had to end early because of those negative 45 degree temperatures um they have lots of other little carnival type um and fair type uh things for the communities to participate in so it it is it's a big celebration you know after this the dogs get to have a little break and and start shutting their winter coat for spring and and everybody turns to the the harvesting season the uh the fishing and the, the hunting that's coming up before uh the snow flies again later this year and this truly is that uh turn of the tables if you will uh, this will be the last race that we cover i guess this year i i don't think that there's any others are there any other big ones in europe or anything that we're missing uh, you know, I'm not sure if there are. The only other one that I know or that I at least have on the calendar on my blog is a junior Kobuk 440 that will happen later this month. Um, but I, you know, I don't really see that getting as much press, at least not yet. Um, but yeah, this is the this is the last big mid-distance race in Alaska for sure that I know about unless somebody's decided to create another one, which is always a possibility. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it kind of feels like this is the, the cap for the, for, for the season and we'll start looking towards uh, the season 23, 24 season. Uh, the junior 440, do they run a true 440 or is that just the name because of the organization? That I couldn't tell you. <laughs> That's a heck of a race if they have juniors running in in uh, in a four hundred and forty mile race. I mean, mm -hmm. because it's typically the same juniors that run in other races. Uh, you know, the junior Iditarod, which is a, like a one fifty, and the Willow Junior one hundred, right. and that sort of thing. I would be interested to find out for sure. So, before we end the show, Tony, we 
Let's talk about the social media on the Kobuk 440. We've talked all year about how races do very good or they need some help. And uh, I think we've spoke about that on every race that we've covered. And some races are doing spectacular. As a matter of fact, uh, the vice president of the Bear Grease, Brittany North, reached out to me during our Iditarod coverage and said, hey, you guys are doing an awesome job on your podcast, uh, talking about races and stuff. I would love to come on to talk about what we do on the social media side. And if you remember, we really gave props to races like the Bear Grease and, and others that are just exceptional with their social media. And it looks like the folks at the Kobuk have either really upped their game, they're paying attention to what other folks are doing, or they have somebody that is just rocking it because I thought they did a great job and I'm sure you do too. Yeah. And we've seen that in the past with them. Um, this year felt a little more professional in the way that they reported um, earlier races the last few years. We've seen a lot of humor, very similar to what we've seen. If you are on social media and followed, I did a rod outsider, which is a fan from the Bethel area um, who has kind of like this snarky, sassy, uh, tongue-in-cheek way of reporting on the race. Uh, that's what we kind of saw in uh, the last few years with the Kobuk on Twitter and on Facebook. They're the ones that termed the phrase tracky boys, which was very controversial, somehow on um, mushing Facebook communities. They were very judgy about that. They um, blamed it on other mushers that actually didn't have anything to do with it. It was just a, a turn of phrase that, that this organization's social media team did. But this year, they, they went a little more professional. They, they gave just the facts, ma'am. There wasn't a lot of fun, ha-ha, tongue-in-cheek sort of thing. They went more towards, let's teach you about our area. Let's teach you about the peoples of our area. Let's teach you about the languages of our area, which was very fun to me. Um, being a lifelong Alaskan, I don't actually know a whole lot of the different um, dialects and uh, peoples of the different regions. Uh, we got a very basic history of that growing up in school. So I appreciated those. Uh, we also got very timely updates on different aspects of the race, whether it was Hugh Neff uh, losing his team. They gave us updates on that. They gave us updates on Kevin Hansen's tracker that decided to just go AWOL halfway through the race. So they were keeping everybody updated on where that musher was. Um, and then, of course, the check-in on Morrow today when everybody was worried that he was possibly going to have to scratch. They let everyone know, hey, we've sent out some race judges and trail uh, sweeps, and, and we'll let you know when when we find out, and sure enough, they did. Um, and they were able to keep live feeds going at negative 45 degrees on just their little cell phones. So kudos to Kobuk 440. That is a very difficult job. And I will say that we've seen this now with both the Kobuk and the Cusco. I think the races on the road system have been resting too easy on this. They keep making excuses for why we haven't seen more interaction on social media, but if these small communities out on West Coast Alaska with everything that we always assume, uh, you know, those of us living on the road system about what it's like out there on West, in Western Alaska, they're kicking butt. Uh, 
when it comes to um, giving the fans what they need to be able to follow the race. And just one more point on that. Uh, I saw their map that they tabulated over there on their social media, and they had listeners mm-hmm. all over the world, I, I, Africa, Australia, Asia, I think just about every continent, people were following this race. Mm-hmm. And that is amazing because this is a very little known race outside of, you know, the the big time mushing circles. I mean, of course, everybody follows all over the world with races like uh, the Iditarod and the Quest and, you know, the big ones that everybody knows about. But I couldn't believe mm-hmm. how many people were listening all over or, or following, should I say, all over with uh, with this race here as well. Yeah, it's it's incredible. I don't know what their number ended up being. I think at one point I saw them say they were up to 43 different countries or something like that. So um, very exciting. I know Iditarod likes to say that, you know, we're the ones that, that prove that, that mushing is a global fandom. And yes, Iditarod, you have done so much for this sport in the last 50 years, 50 plus years um, of promoting the sport, of getting people's attention with the sport. But I have to give credit to the Kobuk, the Cusco, the Quest, other races, the John, you know, the Bear Grease, of course, as well. They're doing a phenomenal job as well as keeping fans interested. And a lot of fans actually are starting to prefer these smaller races. Yeah, I mean, they're they're one and done. We we covered this. What was it? Uh, Wednesday or Thursday night, and uh, it, it's mm-hmm. pretty much over already on on Monday afternoon. It's not like I did a rod that it's a two-week commitment that you're always on social media and constantly refreshing the trackers and all of that. So let's do something uh, a little different since this is the last race of the year. We could probably cover this on one of our bi-weekly updates, but I think it would be interesting conversation just to have for a couple of minutes or two. Now that we talked about sort of the state of, of how races are being followed on social media throughout this year, because you and I started something new this year. We decided to jump in with two feet sometime back in October or whenever it was and said, Hey, let's cover every race that we possibly can and, <laughs> and uh, see how it goes. And I think we did, I don't know, maybe like 15 of them or something like that, uh, both pre-race and post-race for each show. So what do you think going into the 2023, 2024 season, are we going to see anything different now that we've sort of seen this play out, whether it be different ways of a- attracting fans by social media, different, uh, you know, radio or podcasts or TV or what? We've talked a lot about this through the year, but what are your thoughts here at the end of the season about ways that we will see that may be different in following the race next year? Well, we're already seeing uh, more podcasts pop up there are two or three new podcasts just within the last uh, month or so so that I I think we'll see that um, play out Uh, there is um, one of our not competing I don't I don't really feel like I'm in competition with anybody but there's a another podcast that you know they're they're doing kind of like a zoom podcast thing where you can actually watch them talking to each other on YouTube um, which I know fans have started to enjoy. So 
I I think though, as far as races are concerned, I don't see any of them changing up what they're doing. This is mushing. It takes them forever to change, kicking and screaming as they are. Um, uh, Iditarod has promised us now how many years that they're gonna up their game and people were upset with how things were, went again this year. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know if we'll see the, the road system races up their game with social media. A lot of them struggled to get volunteers enough to even host the race, much less worry about reporting on social media. I don't understand that. Again, my argument is if the West Coast communities can do it, why can't we on the road system? And before somebody writes in and says, well, Tony, you can volunteer for everything. I get it. I'm like six to eight hours away from any of these races most of the time. But you cannot tell me that you're, you don't have people closer in your closer communities uh, that can't help you with that. Even if they don't want to sit out there in the bitter cold at 2 a.m., you can get somebody to sit at home on the dang Facebook page if you're willing to communicate. And that seems to be the biggest issue is just communication um, from every angle. So I would hope that they would all listen to the fans and, and try to do better there. Um, I think the Cusco and the Cobuck, they're doing a phenomenal job. The Cusco had a few uh, issues uh, with broadcasting this year that was beyond their control. I don't think that we'll see that problem again next year. Uh, they've got a great budget. They've got a great board. Um, I, I think they and the Kobuk are, are going strong on that. So if anything, I would just like to see the, the road system races up their game. Um, and then I'd like to see some of those lower 48 races that we tried to cover give a little bit more information. Race to the Sky does okay. Um, those in Idaho and Oregon, they do okay, but not the greatest at updating. Um, so that, that's what I'd like to see. I'd like to see most of these races kind of get with it and, and at least get up to the Cusco and, and Kobuk level. I I don't think I have anything else to add to that. Uh, you pretty much said everything that I was going to say. I would love to see some type of more uh, live coverage that's, um, you know, a little bit more fan friendly. I don't know if that's possible. I know that uh, a lot of people try to do Facebook lives and stuff, but they almost always turn mm -hmm. out to be kind of amateurish. Of course, everybody thinks that they are a master photographer these days with their iPhones and <laughs> It, it usually does not end very well. So that would be my only hope is to have some type of more video, uh, maybe a little bit more professionally done than just sticking an iPhone out and uh, capturing whatever it is. So other than that, I think that um, I think that a lot of races are doing very good. So we'll see how it turns out. And like you said, uh, those races down in the lower 48 and of course the big boys, they can they could step up if they wanted to. I just don't know if they they uh, have that as a number one priority. And we talked a little bit about that during our Iditarod coverage for sure. So Tony, before we go, anything else that we missed or you want to mention? No, I think we covered it. This was a great race. Kudos to the, the teams. Everybody finished. Everybody finished before the, the finishers dinner. So uh, congrats to all 12 teams. And congrats 
to the Kobuck 440 board for putting on yet another fantastic race. So there you have it. On behalf of my co-host, Tony, this is Robert for Mushing Radio. We will see you guys in a couple of weeks. Uh, we'll be back to our normally uh, scheduled programming with our bi-weekly shows, and we'd be interested to hear what you would like us to talk about. Shoot us a message over on social media. You can find us just about anywhere. Uh, I am at Robert Forto, and Tony is at Tony Shell AK. You can also reach out to us on our website. We're at at firstpaw.media or any other app that you care to message on. With that, uh, Tony, I'll see you next time. Goodbye. From DogWorks Radio, this is Mushing Radio. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we invite you to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. You can tap or swipe on the episode cover art and you'll see some offers from our sponsors. You can support our show by supporting them. If you like what you have heard, we would love it if you could give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe, too. Your host is Robert Forto. Our producers are Michelle Forto, Alex Stein, and Tony Ryder. Our executive producer is Robert Forto. Created for DogWorks Radio and First Paw Media.